Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. Pastor John Kavakis has entitled today's sermon, I've Got Work to Do. It's from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 27. Well, can this be true? Are there really things that you and I should be doing as recipients of God's grace? We're about to find that out. In the meantime, here's something you can do. You can click that subscribe button and also the bell icon uh, so you won't miss a thing. God bless you. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Today, we're going to be in verses 1 through 27. And while you're turning there, let me share this with you. Uh, Back when when almost all of our communication came through our mailbox, uh, Kelly and I received a letter. And it said, how would you like to spend three days in New York City without, without any expenses? Hotel in Manhattan, dinner on the, the restaurant, and, and we looked at that, and of course we'd seen those things before. We know, you know, and there's, there's five pages of, of fine print after it that pretty much say, you got to sit down for a presentation. Now, we'd been to one or two and survived them, and we thought, well, we can do this. Three days in Manhattan is fantastic. So we drive up to Manhattan. We go to Hilton on 57th Street. The place is fabulous. We've got a wonderful room. And we spend the first afternoon in Manhattan. We're walking the streets at night. We're going to Times Square having a great time. The next day at 10 o'clock, we got to go in this little room and sit with these people. And we're thinking, oh, this is easy. You know, we're just going to say no. We don't want whatever they're selling. Well, they were selling timeshares. And... I, I got to tell you something. I, I, I'm just terrible with this stuff. Kelly's going, no, no, no. And I'm going, well, maybe we should buy it. <laughs> you know, and she goes, no, we said no. <laughs> and, but we sat there for three and a half hours. And I, I began thinking, we can't get out of here. We can't. They're drawing circles and arrows and, you know, and they're, and they're taking this information and that information. And, and I'm like, when does this thing end? And finally, you know, I'm tired of it at this point, And I'm the easy one on this. And I go, look, we just want to go. Can we go? And the guy looked at me and said something that changed my life forever. And you've heard this before. He said, didn't you realize that some participation is required? And I went... No, he said, didn't you read all that stuff we sent you? Yeah. <laughs> didn't it say that you had to go through this presentation? Yeah, and we didn't know it was going to be three and a half hours. He said, well, it is. <laughs> Did you think we were going to give you this room and this dinner in Manhattan for nothing? And I naively said, yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's the truth that I want you to hold on to today is some participation is required. And, you know, Jimmy used the word uh, was when he was doing the, uh, the offering. And, you know, it's, it's not a great word uh, as, as far as the church today is concerned, but it's something that we need to pay attention to. Now, last week we heard that every passage in the Bible tells us something about God. And we saw that we all come to Jesus in a manner of being deaf, dumb, and blind. We, we, we need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to listen to what He says, to be able to comprehend, to be able to understand what He says, and to be able to see Him. 
to be able to see the truth and how it applies to our lives. So this week we're going to see that we can experience the fullness of God's kingdom right now. You can experience the fullness of kingdom life right now. It's not fully realized yet, but we can live in the kingdom. This is, this is what was part of our passage last week. Let me remind you, Luke 18, 29 and 30. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more. When? In this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, Jesus doesn't say you you, got to abandon your family. You got to live a monastic life. He's saying your priorities have to be structured properly. God has to be your highest priority. If God is your highest priority, then you can enjoy the blessings of the kingdom right now. So in order to do that, in order to walk in the fullness of God's blessing, in order to enjoy the peace and the joy of being in an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven, there are things we should be doing. Now, in a lot of corners of the church today, that's a little bit of an offensive statement. And words start coming out like legalist and law and and that sort of thing but the fact of the matter is that if we're willing to look at scripture objectively we find out that there are things we should be doing not things we have to do but things that we should be doing so the popular preaching around in 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 certain circles is jesus plus nothing the gospel plus nothing and that is indeed enough to get saved somebody say amen We don't need more than Jesus Christ to get saved. We don't go through machinations to to get ourselves in condition to get saved. Jesus takes us the way we are. But if we are going to be stewards of this amazing grace, there should be evidence. There should be evidence in our lives of a radical change. There should be some demonstration that we are set apart, that we are different. There should be a desire There should be an urging inside us to do things that please God. So our sermon today is, I've got work to do. Think about that for a minute or two. And in our passage, we're going to see two responses to the gospel that reflect that concept that we have work to do. One of them is a tax collector, and it's going to be in verses 1 through 10 of Luke 19. And the other one is the talents. Now, Luke doesn't call them talents. Luke calls them minas. But I needed talents because I wanted to do alliteration. So I robbed it from from Matthew. Okay? And so we'll see the talents in 11 through 27. Let's take a look at this tax collector. Verse 1, 19. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through... And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, some think that Zacchaeus presided over a regional uh, area and that he had several tax collectors working underneath him. Uh, and, And he had authority and he had influence. And he would take a cut of their collections, plus he would get paid for what he was doing. And all this would make him an exceptionally wealthy man. 
Now, in, in the passage prior, we saw a rich man who was unable to hear the truth of the gospel and turned away. Now we've got another rich man here. And, and what we found out in the last passage, you've got to be willing to place God above all, all of our riches, all of our possessions, everything that we hold dear. And so now we see this other rich man, and how is he going to react? What, what, what will he respond as far as who Jesus is and what he does? So we find out, verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was curious. He didn't, he didn't know Jesus He'd probably heard the stories. He'd probably heard rumors of miracles. And there was a buzz in town. The local celebrity pastors coming through. And so he wants to see what's going on. And it says, but on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, we can make a lot about his size and everything. But the truth of the matter, what Luke wants us to see is that there's some distance between Zacchaeus and Jesus. He's curious. He wants to find out what it's all about. We know that because he's a tax collector, maybe because he's a chief tax collector, he's not very popular. People don't like him. They resent him. They kind of think he's a traitor, uh, that he sold out uh, his townspeople. But there's a distance between Zacchaeus and Jesus. So he ran on ahead, verse 4, and climbed up into a sycamore tree. I read a commentator that had to have like seven pages on the sycamore tree. It's just a tree. And the, the significance of the tree is it's not a very tall tree. It's rather short and rather squat, meaning that Zacchaeus could actually climb it. Okay? So that's why we hear it's a sycamore tree. So he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So here's Zacchaeus, curious. What is this all about? Who is this guy? You know, I'm rich, I'm influential. People bow down to me, but really don't like me. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm going to keep my distance. I'll climb up this tree because I want to see him. And in verse 5, and when Jesus, watch this, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. I don't know about you, but if I had never seen the guy, if I was just curious as to what he looked at, and, and I'm hiding up in this tree just so I can see him. And all of a sudden, he looks me in the eye, and he knows my name. I got little flutters in my heart. What? How does he know my name? Who's he been talking to? What does he think of me? So he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Oh, I'm in trouble. He needs me to come down out of the tree. Maybe this is his tree. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be climbing it. Hurry and come down, and then the bomb. For I must stay at your house today. What did he say? Stay at my house. I'm not ready for guests. He knows my name. How does he even know where my house is? So Zacchaeus is really aware at this point that there's something very unusual going on here. Something maybe, maybe miraculous, okay? So the fact is that Jesus knows he's up in the tree, knows his name, and he creates some urgency. you got to come down now. And in the phrasing, it, 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 the indication is that I must stay at your house. It is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now he's been talking to the disciples about 
God's plan. And now he's kind of walking it out in front of the disciples. I've got to stay at his house. Wow. So Zacchaeus, verse 6, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now Zacchaeus does exactly what he's told to do. First act he does is obedience. And he's thrilled that Jesus is coming to his house. And I got to tell you something. You know, we've talked about the culture before. To have the celebrity visitor to the village come to your house is an incredible honor. Uh, And so he would have Jesus at his house, but it wouldn't be just Jesus at his house. When Jesus shows up, the whole town would show up. And, you know, there'd be a dinner. Zacchaeus is probably thinking, I got to get somebody to make dinner. Okay. Uh, And the town dignitaries would be sitting around the table and the townspeople would come in and just stand against the walls and listen to the conversation. So Zacchaeus immediately becomes a little bit of a celebrity himself. People are like, did you hear? Jesus is going to be over at Zacchaeus' house. We'll go over and see what's going on. So it's an incredible moment, but Zacchaeus is joyful. He's obedient. So we have this joyful tax collector, the one guy in the crowd that climbed up in the tree. What about the rest of the townsfolk? Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They complained. And they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The neighbors are appalled. Can't believe he's doing this. Now, we've got to figure out what that says about the neighbors. Number one, what it says is they feel more worthy of Jesus' attention than they think Zacchaeus is. Number two, there's pride there. Certain amount of self-righteousness, and and Jesus has been on this roll about self-righteousness for quite some time during his whole talk about the kingdom since about chapter 9. And they, they also have some preconceptions about who Jesus is. These people love Jesus' miracles. They know there's something very special about him. They love his miracles, but we're finding out more and more they don't particularly care for the people that Jesus hangs out with. They don't particularly care for the people that Jesus cares for. And so, as as we consider all these things, preconceptions, self-righteousness, pride, you know, that, that whole idea of of not caring for the people Jesus cared for. Where does all that lead? Well, we know where it leads. Jesus is closer and closer to Jerusalem with every chapter, isn't he? Okay, It leads to rejection. It leads to them yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Meanwhile, look what being with Jesus does to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Now, we don't know how much time has passed. We're assuming they're at the house We're assuming that the dinner's been had, there's been conversation. It it might be something less than that, but that's what we're assuming. So Zacchaeus says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And there's a total transformation in Zacchaeus. There's a change of behavior. There is a change of heart. There is grief over the sins that he's committed. 
There's a, and, and, and it's more than just feeling sorry that Jesus showed up. Gee, I wish I hadn't done all that stuff. There is true repentance. There is an eagerness to express righteousness. And this is the difference between being sorry for being caught in doing something and true repentance. True repentance demonstrates a change. It brings about a change in life, a change in behavior. Wow. You know, that's a lot to happen over dinner, isn't it? But it's just a little bit of time with, with Jesus and Zacchaeus is changing. Now, now we look at this, and I, I just we need to think about this for a while. Oh, he's only giving half of his stuff away. Okay? Jesus has some things to say about that. He's going to make it clear what's happened to Zacchaeus. But notice this. As much as the previous set of lessons taught us how desperately we need the Holy Spirit in order to be members of the kingdom and for us to be able to listen to understand and receive. Now we see that some effort is called for in walking in the kingdom. There are things we have to do. We've just watched the kids. He went up the tree. I have more to say about that in a little bit. He came down the tree. He went home and prepared for his guest, and he did it all joyfully, but what we need to understand is that he did it. And what we see in this is that a response to the gospel is required. There has to be a response. God does the calling. God also does the enabling. That's what we found out in the last passage. There has to be a response. We don't just sit back and assume that once we've been introduced to the kingdom that we can just wait for the end. We just do nothing. I, I think that's the mistake that the Jewish leadership had arrived at in the first century. They thought they were in the kingdom. They thought they didn't have to do anything. They thought that other people who wanted to be part of the kingdom had to become like them. They had all the rules and regulations to do it. They didn't have to exhibit anything other than their heritage, their ethnicity. Huh. So Zacchaeus shows this, this transformation. He's going to give away half of all he owns. Well, watch this. Yes. He's going to do that and restore everything he's taken unjustifiably fourfold. This is probably going to wipe Zacchaeus out. Yeah, the rich man in a previous passage wouldn't give up anything. And in this passage you have Zacchaeus who gives up everything. He shows humility. I mean, it took a lot for this dignitary of the region around Jericho to climb up a tree. I, I, just think about it. Some, somebody says, you know, Leslie, the governor's coming over to your house this afternoon for dinner. And you look out your backyard and he has climbed a tree so that he can see you. <laughs> you know, What's he doing in the tree? He's the governor. Okay, what is Zacchaeus doing in the tree? You know, he could probably buy the tree. What's going on here? You know, so he, he demonstrates some humility. He demonstrates repentance. He demonstrates everything that Jesus has been teaching about being a member of the kingdom. And look what Jesus says. 
after Zacchaeus puts this display of transformation onto the crowd, after his time with Jesus, Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus addresses the people's concerns. They were like, what's he doing with sinners? He addresses their self-righteous. He didn't come for them. He came for the lost. Oh, no, 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 no. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for me. Well, he is. But just before he left the first time, he said, I came for the lost. And we've got a period in there that we've got to figure out what to do with the time. Jesus said, I came for the lost. I didn't come for you. Matter of fact, you were the ones that were supposed to be a blessing to the world. You're supposed to bring the word of God to the world. And they were missing it. They certainly missed it with Zacchaeus, didn't they? Wow. The crowd, the crowd had it wrong. Their assessment of Zacchaeus caused them to judge themselves more righteous than this tax collector. So they figured the tax collector was, watch this, unworthy of God's grace. Not a recipient of grace. Not even eligible for God's grace. We are. And they think this when it's them that needs the grace the most. So so we see that Zacchaeus is now a primary recipient of this amazing grace of God. But we also see that that grace compels Zacchaeus to do two things. Number one, he obeys Jesus. He does exactly what he's told. Comes down from the tree. And number two, he honors Jesus. Not just as hosting him for the dinner, but he honors Jesus by living a transformed life. By putting that life on display. He's not... Don't get this wrong. He's not doing anything to earn grace. He's already received it. Amen? He's already got the grace. He does these things in appreciation for the grace that he's received. He does these things joyfully. He's grateful for God's grace and he responds by living a different life. Let's take a look at these talents. Now again... Uh, this is very similar to the parable in Matthew 25. I'm going to give you a challenge, and then I'll give you a prize if you meet up to the challenge. Uh, compare Matthew 25 to this passage here. Tell me all the differences, and I will allow you to buy me a cup of coffee. You know how much I like coffee. So verse 11. As they, who, who, who's the they? This is the crowd that's following them through Jericho. As they heard these things, and you know, it's a little bit more than their eardrums just vibrating. They are considering these things. Uh, they're trying to comprehend everything they've heard. They're trying to absorb it, to appropriate it in their lives. It says, he, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, he knows there's not much time left. 
And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, this is something that the disciples thought. It's something that the people that were following him thought, the kingdom of God. And they probably got that from Jesus saying, the kingdom is near, I'm the kingdom, so on and so forth. But, so it, it, it's not an unreasonable thing for them to think. But the context here is that disciples and the followers believe the kingdom is coming immediately. And Jesus wants to set them straight. So in verse 12, he said, Therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, the nobleman is going to leave and he's going to be gone for a while. You see what's happening? (laughs) And when he comes back, he's going to come back as a king. You could put a capital K in there. He's really talking about himself, but he hadn't made that clear yet. So this is a new theme for Luke. And you'll see this theme pop up as we progress through the rest of Luke. Jesus is king. Verse 13, and he said, Calling ten of his servants, he the king, gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Now, there's no real significant meaning to the ten, uh, other than it's not the twelve So we know that Jesus isn't speaking directly and exclusively to the apostles. He's talking to, he's talking about a group of people. And so uh, the, their 10 trusted residents of the kingdom, uh, their, their residents that, of the kingdom that the king is going to return to. And he gives them what amounts to be about three years of wages. It's an incredible amount of money. Leave it to them. And, and the inference here is that when he comes back, he expects some sort of return. He said, engage in business until I come back. And then in verse 14, we find out some people don't like this. It says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, this is not the 10 and the intention again for, of Luke and Jesus in telling the parable is to say, there's something special about these ones that he's chosen. Okay, but the rest of the people don't like him, and the and and they don't want him as king. So they they send some people they go go after him and tell him not to come back. We don't want him ruling over us. We don't like what he's saying. We don't like what he's doing. And, and so he listens very carefully. The nobleman does because in verse fifteen we say when he returned, and of course when he returns. He's the king. You can't say those things to a king. So there's a whole lot in this phrase. When he returned, having received the kingdom, the nobleman's going to come back as a king. He's going to be away for a while. Jesus taught his followers that he was the kingdom. Now he's teaching them that the fullness of the kingdom is not going to happen immediately. But surely he's going to return. And when he does, that will be the fullness of the kingdom. That's the significance of going from the nobleman to the king. The fullness of the kingdom isn't here yet. So it says, He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So when the king returns, he wants to know, what did you do with what I gave you? Where is it? Clearly, you know, as we understand who the king is, and we understand who the servants are, this sets us up as believers of having some responsibility to use what God has given us 
to make a return on his gifts for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the king. We need to think about this. Because I love the teaching that I don't have to do anything. That makes the rest of my life easy. I don't have any obligations. There are no demands on me. Jesus plus nothing. But that's, that's not what this story says, is it? I mean, look, let's let it roll out and see what happens. What, what I want to show you is that everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, will have to answer to Jesus when he comes back. There's no opting out. Everybody's going to have to respond. Okay? So, in verse 16, we find out that the first of these servants, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mind is made, ten mine is more. And, and the king said to that servant, well done, good servant. Wouldn't you like to hear that as you enter eternity? Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, Jesus, the king, thinks that three years of wages is just a little. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten minus. Well, no. You shall have authority over ten other people. No. What's he have authority over? Ten cities. Ten cities. Now, the details here. The first servant here is well done. Because he took what the king gave him and doubled it. And look at this. He gets a reward. We don't like to talk about rewards because we don't like to feel obligated to do anything. But there's a reward here. And the reward outpaces the gift, the ten minus, by an unimaginable factor. And the key to all of this is the servant is faithful. He did what the king asked him to do, and he did it well. He obeyed, and he put effort. He put work into his obedience. A conscious effort. Verse 18, and the second, okay, so we're talking about the second servant here, came saying, Lord, your mind has made five minus. Oh, this guy, he's just so embarrassed. (laughs) Oh, the last guy made ten. I've only got five. And the king said to him in verse 19, and you are over five cities. Another huge reward. Returns a little bit smaller, but even at that, it's unimaginable. Clearly, not as much work was put into the five minus as the ten, but the reward far outweighs the work that was involved in it. And again, the faithfulness and obedience of the second servant are rewarded far, far beyond any effort he put in it. Then we see this in verse 20. Then another, and, and the phrasing here is to make us understand that this one's a little bit different. Don't call him a servant, just says another. Another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Now, the handkerchief he's talking about was a cloth that you would wear on your neck on a hot day. And at the end of the day, you would put your belongings in that cloth and bury it so that nobody could find it. I buried your mina. And, and, and this guy realizes that this is the day of reckoning. He believes that he knows all about the king. He thinks he's got it. But he's a little bit shaken now that he's standing in front of him. 
And in verse 21, he says, For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You took what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So he presumes to know all about the king. I know who you are. I know how you are. Calls him a severe man. Says, you're an opportunist. Says, you take advantage of people. And he has nothing to show in return other than what he was given. And by the way, he's wrong about the king. I mean, didn't the king just demonstrate that he's a king of grace, a king of mercy, a king who is generous, a king who loves the people with him? This man's arrogance is absolutely breathtaking because now he's talking to the king. He not only evaluates the king, he tells him about it. Wow. So what is the king going to do with this? So in verse 22, the king said to him, I will condemn you. Now, we don't want to make too much of this. This is not condemnation into hell. This is an evaluation. It's a judgment call. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew what I was, a severe man, knowing that I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So the king starts with, you thought you knew me. You thought you knew what kind of God I was, what kind of king I was. So, verse 23, why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have at least collected interest. Why didn't you make the minimum effort? I mean, it wouldn't have been that much to put it in the bank and gain some interest. Why didn't you even do that? Why did you hide it? Why did you bury it? See, the other, the other doesn't do anything. He keeps his mind hidden. Didn't even do the safest, least amount of effort that he could do. He wasn't obedient. He wasn't faithful. He wasn't even very fearful. He's just mouthing excuses at this point, trying to excuse what he'd done, when he realizes the nobleman really did come back, in spite of the fact that there were a lot of people that didn't want him to come back. He did come back, and now he's king, and now he has to answer to the king. And look what the king does in verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. And they said to him, Lord, he's got ten miners. Verse 26, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So we see these three types of people, servants. There's seven more. The story is not about those seven. It's about these three. Two who are thankful and work hard to show a return for what they've been given, pouring themselves into it, and receive a reward beyond imagination. They've got cities. And one who misjudges the king and doesn't get anything. Now watch this. He's still a citizen of the kingdom. He's not kicked out. I'll tell you why in just a second. He just made some presumptions about the king that were inaccurate. They were wrong. He thought he didn't have to do anything, so he did nothing, and he received nothing. Still in the kingdom, but no reward. Well, wait a minute. There's a fourth type of person, and this is how we know the third guy is in the kingdom. Remember the people who didn't want the nobleman as king? Don't come back. We don't want you. 
Look what happens then, verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine, see the third guy's not counted any enemies. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and, well, let them in. They're good people. Oh, you know, we've got a loving king and he's willing to excuse everything. Bring those enemies of him and just let them be part of the kingdom because a loving king would never, would never do anything to the people that lived in his kingdom even though they rejected him. What's the word say? Slaughter him. It's a violent word. It's a terrible word. In particular, if it's being levied upon you. It's not just violent. It's tragic. It's traumatic. It's like the worst thing that can happen. Slaughter them before me. So we find these three types. Two are faithful and work hard with what they've been given. And and one who misjudges the king and gets absolutely nothing. And a fourth type who totally rejects the king and is slaughtered. So the point, the point of the minas is clear. The servants of the king receive rewards according to the effort that they put into what they've received. Not as a duty. We have to understand this. Not as an obligation but as a way of honoring the king, as a way of showing their appreciation. So clearly, Jesus is clearly talking about those who follow him, those who believe in him, the servants, and what he expects him to do while he's gone. I'm going away just like the, the nobleman. He expects him to use their, their talents, use their minas, use their gifts, and expand the kingdom until he returns. And for their loyalty, for their faith, for their obedience, they will be rewarded eternally. It's an incredible moment. Two responses to the gospel. You have the tax collector. Zacchaeus has to come down from the tree. But I want you to think about this as well. We talked about the distance between Zacchaeus and, and Jesus. The crowd is standing in the way. Does that ever happen to us? Does the crowd ever get in the way between us and Jesus? The murmurings of the crowd, the complaints of the crowd, the preconceptions of the crowd, the issues of the crowd. So it's not just that Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree. He went up. And why did he go up the tree? So that he could see Jesus better so that he could rise above the crowd, so that he could do away with all of the issues and all of the complaints and all, all of the, the, the grumbling of the crowd. And what were they grumbling about? They're grumbling about the Romans. The government is corrupt. They're grumbling about people that don't belong in the kingdom. What are you going to do about those sinners and those sinners and those sinners and those sinners? Not much has changed in 2,500 years. Zacchaeus rises above that. The crowd's busy making assumptions and being wrong. They're doing everything but doing what Jesus says. They're active. They've got full lives, busy schedules. They're doing everything but what they've been called to do. And they're doing everything but what Jesus is doing. And what is Jesus doing, brothers and sisters? 
spending time with sinners. Saving the lost. Zacchaeus rises above the crowd, puts aside all the distractions, and gets to know Jesus in a life-transforming way. And we got the, the talents. It's clear that God expects us to do something with what he gives us. Something for the kingdom. Something for his glory. Regardless of what some people may say, our salvation, listen to me carefully, our salvation is not for us to enjoy. It's not the primary purpose of our salvation. There's nothing wrong with enjoying our salvation. Okay? But God didn't do all this just to get you and me into heaven. If he did, he would have taken us up there the moment we got saved. Okay, you're in. He leaves us here to do the things that Jesus says to do while he's gone. And our behavior, we're transformed by all this. And our behavior should, should demonstrate that appreciation, demonstrate that transformation, not out of obligation, but out of the same joy that Zacchaeus had. Wow. There are rewards to be had, brothers and sisters. They're waiting for us. But we have to be productive here. Works has become a bad word, hasn't it? Oh, no, no, that's about works. We're not here to do works. It wasn't a bad word to Paul. It wasn't a bad word to James. Listen to this. Paul said in Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, if we just hold on to that, we go, we don't have to do anything. But see, we've got to take James into account as well. Because, because why? Oh, because it's Scripture. And people tell me, oh, James shouldn't have been in the Bible. You know, they had a big argument over that. They did not. They did not. So what does James say about this? James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith and works are inextricably linked. If you have one, you will demonstrate the other. It doesn't matter which one you want to focus on. You can't divorce them from each other. So we see that a response is necessary for the gospel. But the response, and this is important, the response is not returning God's favor to him. I'm saying you did something nice for me, so now I feel like i got to do something nice for you. We're not paying him back. We don't have to do it, but should, we should want to. If we understand grace, if we understand mercy, we should want to. We have work to do. We have work to do. We can work together, but we have to understand The cities are waiting for us. Cities are waiting for us. A reward beyond imagination is waiting for you and me. It doesn't mean that if you haven't done anything and you get to heaven, I don't think the thief on the cross did much. I don't think he's out there going, on oh, and get a reward. I think he's thankful, appreciative. I think he's worshiping. But God says, use what I've given you. Let there be a return on the kingdom. Don't just languish in your salvation. 
make it apparent to the world. God says some participation is required. Kelly and I felt trapped in that hotel room in Manhattan. When I thought we were done, the guy sitting in front of us said, this is Beverly, she'll take you to the door. <laughs> she walked us down the hallway and opened up the door. It was another office. There's a lady sitting in there, just wanted to have one final word. We felt trapped. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't trap us. He's not trying to get us to do something. These people were trying to get us to sign up for vacation. God gives us eternity by His grace. And our response to Him should be to offer up our very best. We have opportunities to do this. We've got the backpack program. We're going to have a work day soon. And the great thing about when we get together, and, and this is where I just feel so honored to be part of this congregation because you guys get this. When we ask for participation, we get it. And I'm hoping the people out there are listening to this as well because you're the example. So when we need help, you help. And we help on a lot of different levels. There's ways to help financially, ways to help by prayer, ways to help by teaching, ways to help. If, if you saw how many people come through this facility during the week, you would be amazed. People that are devoting their time and their effort to keeping our church functioning, and we are profoundly grateful for that. Let's spread the word. Let's show the world what the body of Christ should look like.